In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of the Holy Pentecost uh, time, the Holy, Holy 50 Days. And the, today's Gospel comes from John chapter 14. And if you remember John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, these are all said on, uh, on the, the, before the crucifixion on the Holy Thursday. The Lord said all of these few chapters, and then, of course, was the cross the next day. Uh, and in this evening, he reveals to the disciples and tells them many strong, or he makes many strong assertions. For example, the first one, which is the theme of today, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice how he says, I am the way. Like, he is the only way. He's not one of many ways. He is the truth. He's not a truth. And he says, I, he is the life, not one of many lives, right? So this is a very strong assertion. He also makes the assertion, that if you know me, you know my Father. And he tells him, when Philip asks him, show us the Father, he said to him, how is it you ask about to see the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, a very strong assertion to the Jewish mind. Right? They, they, the, they, they believe that anybody who sees the Father can't live. Now you're telling me that you are the express image of the Father. Again, a very strong assertion. Um, <clears throat> But I think if we summarize the theme for today, it's that the way to eternal life with the Father can only be accomplished or is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. We said that the way, of course, the way is the way to heaven. The way to the Father is through the Son. So He is the way. He also is the truth because He is the answer to the truths that humanity searches for. For example, when we think about what is the truth about man, that we are greater than the animals, that we have been endowed with a gift from God, that we'll be accountable for the gifts that we give. All of these truths we know because are in Christ. We know who is God, who is our creator, right? Because he revealed himself to us. We know about the purpose and meaning of life because it's given to us in God. Without God, there's no purpose or meaning to life. And also, what's the truth uh, about evil and how evil works? Again, we know through the Lord Jesus Christ and what He revealed to us. Today, I'll briefly, you know, spend a few moments about speaking about Christ as the life. Christ as the life. The first point is that uh, Christ, or the the Logos, He gives life to all living things. He gives life to all living things. And two points are uh, two parts I'll bring out to you. Number one is the Gospel of John. Listen to the beginning of the Gospel of John, and this is what we pray every morning in the Igbeya. It says what? In the beginning was the Word. The Word here is the Logos, or the Son of God, or the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The beginning here is not the beginning of time, but the beginning of eternity. Right? So there's no beginning of eternity, meaning what? That the Lord Jesus was always there. There was not a time where He was not. That's why in the book of Revelations he says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he says all things were made through him. So all things, the universe was made through Christ. And without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of our life and the source of all living creatures and all living things. This is why you'll find with the the if you look in the lives of the saints you'll find that when somebody reaches a really high spiritual level 
they be almost become one with the nature and the animals because again they look at all of God's creation as being a gift, right? So somebody like um, Baba Krullus who would go and would can pet the lions, right? Um, Amba Barsoom lived with a serpent or with a snake and it didn't harm him, right? So become one with you know the animals and the cre- creation that's around them. Also, if we notice in the Nicene Creed, St. Athanasius coined this uh, phrase for us. He says, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, by whom all things were made. So this asserts that all things were made, uh, that are alive, come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only are, do they have their life from Him, but He's also the sustainer of everyone's life. Listen to what St. Paul, how he begins the book of Hebrews. He says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, of course the Lord Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So through Christ he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding all things by the word of his power. So it's actually through the Lord Jesus Christ that the life of the world is upholded. Right? And then um, uh, also, so this was in Hebrews. So there are many other verses, but I just chose one just, you know, to make the point. So all humanity is given the opportunity, if given the opportunity to rest and to think, they have this tendency to search for God. For example, philosophers, right? The philosophy is, is the love of wisdom. And you'll find the things that the philosophers philosophize about are things about God, about creation, about origin. Where did we come from? What's our purpose? What's our meaning? Right? Because once we give ourselves time to rest and to think, then we begin to think about God. This is why Satan is so keen about keeping us distracted and keeping us busy. God, uh, Satan wants us to always be busy and entertained and amused so that way we never think about him. And the best way is through the devices that we have. You know, there's not even a moment. You know, sometimes when you kid that you go through the airport and they go use the restroom, people like are on their phone having a conversation while they're in the restroom. Even this time, it can't be something, yani, uh, it can be yani, just no quietness. Every moment has to be something. Can we get in the car and not turn anything on and just sit in silence? That's the hala. You mean if we want me to sit there and listen to just the road noise? No, I'll, I'll go crazy. Hey, uh, this is the key. If I will go crazy at the silence in my mind, how will I ever know God in my heart? We must. There has to be this time of quietness, time of silence. The theologians, of course, they think about uh, God and the purpose and origins and meanings of life. Even the people who studied silence, science, like the astrologers, people that study space and all of this, they ask the question, okay, where's the beginning? Where are the ends of the universe? What marks their territory? Is the universe growing or is it static? All of these questions, again, 
one ponders about the origins of life and where we came from in relation to a creator, in relation to God. So, the first thing we have to understand is that Christ gives life and the sustainer of all life on the world, whether we realize that or confess it or not. Number two is life with Him is communion or harmony with Him. Life with Christ means that there is harmony and union between me and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember in the book of Genesis, it says, listen to what the Lord uh, says about the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. He says, But the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So he told Adam that when you eat of this fruit, you will die if you eat of this, because I told you not to, right? As we know, the story happened that Adam ate the, ate the fruit. Did Adam die? He didn't die. He continued to live for hundreds of years, right? So here, what does this tell us? That from God's point of view, when sin entered into the world, this is death. Because there's no longer harmony and peace between us. There's no reconciliation between us. So from God's point of view, this is called death. This is called death. So this was the state of man's communion after the fall. It's broken. Between me and God, there's a gap. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, this communion can be restored. So through Christ, this communion can once again be restored. And we'll speak about that in a few minutes, how that can be restored. But only those who desire communion with Him will enjoy the life He gives. So only those who want to have communion will enjoy the life that He gives. Sometimes we say, I want to be on good terms with God. So I don't want to be in communion with Him. It's just like, a boss, I want to satisfy a boss that I work for, but I don't want to be his friend. Sometimes we do this with God. We want to be, you know, somebody who's on good terms with me. He doesn't send me to hell or he gives me what I want or what I ask. But I don't want the communion. I don't want the interrelationship because of what he demands in the relationship. But then I don't, I don't want this. But we really can't enjoy the life that Christ gives until we really desire the communion with him. We want to be united with him. Look at what the Lord says. He says a very famous verse that we all know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word here, believes, sometimes in the English can be misleading. Because believes means it's something that I'm mentally convinced of or something that I understand, right? I can believe that this is a mangale. I can believe that this is a granite on the floor, right? So in the same way, I believe that Christ existed and He did, He died for us and all of these things. But actually, if you look in the, the real Greek word, it means more of to have faith in or to trust. To have faith in or to trust. So, trust is, or believing is like a way of, that we tell God we trust Him. We trust Him. And trust is something that it, uh, cannot be confessed with the mouth, but it's something that's shown through relationship. For example, how do we know that children tr- or parents trust their children? When we give them privileges, when we give them certain freedoms, we be okay, I trust you that you can go, and you can go out to this place, and I trust that you'll go to a good place, because I trust that you make good decisions. This is an action built on a relationship, right? 
So this is what the Lord is saying here. When you when he says here that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, this belief is the trust. That I trust God in the promises that he gave me and therefore I carry my life based on those promises. It's not a mental thing where yeah, I trust that God came, took flesh, died and rose and gave us the Holy Spirit. All this is good. But trust but this is more of the belief is more of the trust. And the trust is shown through relationship. Like the martyrs. Like the martyrs. Right? Yesterday we spoke about the 21 martyrs, right? They showed their trust in God and in His promises. How? By witnessing to Him, to the truth, that they are Christians and they will not deny their faith, even if it means that they were going to lose their life. Even if it came to the point where I will give my life. So this shows that they trusted God because they were willing to live it. They had a relationship with God and it was evident in their witness. Number three, to enjoy the life given to us in Christ through the Holy Spirit requires active uh, repentance. So again, to enjoy this life that Christ gives us, we have to live a continual repentant life. Where do I get this from? If you remember the story of the Samaritan woman we read a few weeks ago and also in the Holy Great Fast, when he came and he began to speak with her, and then he spoke a little about the water, she says, you have no water, and he says, okay, I'll give you the water that when you drink of this, you will never thirst again, and she says, okay, give me this water, what does he tell her to do first? Go what? Go? Go call your husband, right? Go call your husband. Ever thought about why he said go call your husband? Sometimes we think, okay, this was the, the reason for this was simply just to get her to confess. If you wanted her to confess, you could have said, are you in any kind of relationship that's ungodly? And she would just say yes. And that would be the confession. But what does it mean when he says to her, go call your husband? Now she begins to think about, okay, the relationship that I'm in. What's the status of it? And can I really go call my husband and bring or call this man that I'm living with in sin Bring him in front of the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. So actually what Christ is instructing her to do indirectly is deal with the sinful situation. Make a decision. Are you going to go back to this man? Or are you going to come to me? Right? So with this question, go call your husband. He's forcing her to deal with the situation. To do something about it. Not simply to acknowledge that she sinned. And again, this is what Christ is most concerned about. Yes, it's one thing to identify that we have sinned, but it's another thing to try to do something about it, right? And this is where the repentance part comes in, where I acknowledge the sin, and now I want to know or strive to correct it in my life. And I must take the steps necessary, even if it means, you know, as the Lord said, you know, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, to pluck it out. Of course, not literally, but maybe this is the extent to which I must go. So, in order to enjoy this life with Christ, it requires this active repentance. And we saw the response of the Samaritan woman. How she left the water pot and she went and not only told maybe perhaps this man that she was with, but all the men of Samaria about the one who told her everything that she's ever done. And they all came and when they met him, they said, now we believe not because of what you said, because we've seen for ourselves. Right? So she made the right choice and she lived. Number three, those who strive to save their life will lose it. 
Again, listen to what the Lord says in Mark chapter 8. He says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I think the easy part for us to understand here is the part that says, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Right? If I go and I witness to Christ like the 21 martyrs, then I will gain my life and this will, I'll give, I'll get, uh, the, uh, the eternal paradise in exchange. But what about the part before where it says, whoever uh, desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to save his life, what does this mean? So does this mean that I shouldn't work to uh, preserve my life here on earth? So when I'm sick, I shouldn't get medical care? I shouldn't try to eat healthy so I can live a healthy life. I shouldn't try to secure my home and my family. Is this what is this what this means? Of course, this is not what this means. But I think it means that those who think that they can secure their life can uh, will lose their life trying to secure it. I'll say it again. Those who think they can secure their life will lose it. Uh, will lose it, uh, will lose their life trying to secure it. So, meaning that I can try to secure my life, but if all my life is about securing my life, I will lose my eternity trying to secure my earthly life. The Lord gives us a really good example of this about the rich young fool in Luke chapter 12. It's a few verses, let me read it for you and it'll illustrate it perfectly. The Lord says, the, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he had all of these crops, and he filled the storehouses, and he doesn't know what to do. And he says, So he said, I will do this. I will pull, pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have had many good goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he said, Okay. After I filled my storehouses, I will knock them down and big bigger ones. And then once I filled these, I will say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. Rest and relax. And then what is the end? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, though, uh, then, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he, so is he who lays up treasures for himself is not rich toward, and not rich towards God. So the Lord here calls him fool. Because he spent so much time, and instead of the barn or the storehouses, we can replace it with the bank. Alright? A receipt for the bank. We can re- exchange it. Okay, I had this much, instead of having this much in my bank, I just expand the bank account. You know how they have like the insurance, the FDIC on $100,000? So maybe if I say, okay, I get past $100,000 saving and I want to insure it, I just open another account. Right? So I open hundreds of accounts, and I fill up the accounts, and then I say to myself, I have millions, let me rest and be merry. Then what? The Lord says this, the person who does this is a fool. Because when you die, you leave all of this money, but then at what expense? Your eternity. I spent my life trying to preserve my life. I lost my life. Right? This is what this means. So in order for us to enjoy this life, um, we must strive or understand that we can't spend our life trying to preserve our life. All our lives are in the hands of God. Yes, we do our, what is our responsibility? To secure our family and our lives and ourselves. But I don't spend my life doing these things. Because the end of these things, these things will pass away. 
um, and will not endure. The last point uh, is the work of the Holy Spirit is our lifeblood. The work of the Holy Spirit is our lifeblood. Um, and the work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us into the image of Christ. So how is it that, or how does one put on, or how does the life of Christ become mine? How does the life of Christ that he gives become my own? And this is things you all know and understand from when you were in Sunday school. But let me just repeat it just for uh, a refresher. The first is faith in his word. Faith in the word of God. Al-Maktub. The Lord says what? Most assuredly I say to you, who he hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. So he hears my word and believes it. Meaning what? That I hear his word and I behave or I act and I trust them accordingly. Right? So this is the point number one. And this is why again the Lord said, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is eternal life. To know the Lord and we know Him through the church and through the word that He has left us. Number two is baptism. We take on the, the new man through baptism. As St. Paul tells us, therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Notice here he doesn't say we should be resurrected, but he says walk in the newness of life. So meaning what? That those who don't, this is death. Because the Lord said, unless you are baptized, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Of course, number three is the Eucharist. Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So unless we partake of the Eucharist, we have no life in us. That's why St. Cyprian said, a church without the Eucharist is not a church. And the Eucharist requires the church to officiate. Lastly, the holy struggle. The holy struggle. St. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, about the Lord always caring about, about himself as a believer, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He's speaking here about the holy struggle, about the spiritual warfare that we engage in, about the waking up early to pray, about coming to church early from the beginning, about being diligent in the fastings and to be, you know, punctual in the services that we offer. All of these things uh, in the spiritual struggle, in our spiritual life, this is the way we live the life of Christ. Right, is to try to make my life in his image, in all aspects of my life. And this is why St. John Chrysostom, and I'll close with this, he says, Nothing is so incongruous in a Christian and foreign to his character as to seek ease and rest. So he says, you know, nothing is foreign to the human, to the Christian character than seeking rest and ease. I'm afraid, my beloved, that sometimes, you know, nowadays, this is what we search for. We search for how can I make, I rest, and how can I make things easy. If I can, and we think, if they just made an app to bring my car to me, that would be great. I wouldn't have to walk to my car. If they could just make an app connected to a robot that can go to the refrigerator for me to get me a drink while I sit on the couch and I watch TV or I play on my phone. If they can only make, etc., etc., right? We can think. 
all of the things that we do and perhaps we labor in, we say, can I just get something to do it for me instead? And by the way, you know, people, there are companies working on like these bots, like these robots, sophisticated robots to do these tasks. So I wouldn't even put it past us that one day we'll have these little servant robots in our homes to do things for us. But I fear that when we depend on these things, we become more lazy, more relaxed, more restful. And then we end up losing our life, allowing these machines to do things that we were supposed to do ourselves. Right? So, just really quick to recap, we said that, uh, number one, that Christ gives life to all things. He is the source and uh, sustenance of all life. Life in Him is communion and harmony with Him. Number three is to enjoy life given to us in Christ through the Holy Spirit requires an act of repentance like the Samaritan woman. Uh, Those who strive to save their life will lose it. And lastly, the work of the Holy Spirit is our lifeblood. And we said that we live the life of Christ through baptism, through faith in His Word, through the Eucharist, and through the Holy Struggle. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.